Good morning, friends. It's a wonderful privilege to be opening God's word for you this morning. Please remain standing for the reading of our of our God's word. The text comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. And the Lord appeared to him, that is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quick, quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour kneaded and made cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next, next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We trust that you have been speaking to us by your spirit through all the service, through the songs, the baptisms, the reading, the hymns, Lord. I pray that you will now continue to speak. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to the working of your spirit so that you would conform us into the image of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, friends. This morning is a wish come true for my family. For the last six years, God has not ceased to bless us through you. And as our family is now getting ready to move to Florida first and then to Peru to begin our missionary service there, we dreamed of the chance to address you all in order to thank you for being 
so good to us in so many different ways. So therefore, when I got that text from Pastor Andrew asking me if I wanted to preach this morning, I, of course, accepted the invitation, but also we praise God for granting us the desire of our hearts. And to make things even better, Pastor Ben from Grace Hill later told me that he was having the people of Grace Hill join Christ Church for today's services, giving us the chance to thank the whole family of faith that loved us so well in these pivotal years of our lives. If I were to recount all the different ways that you have blessed us in these six years, we would be here all day, and perhaps you would wish that you hadn't been so kind to us. So instead, I will just mention the most recent of these blessings, and this will serve as an introduction to our Bible text. Last March, Abby and I went through a week, a week of orientation with Search, our mission-sending agency. And as part of the orientation, Search presented to us the amount that we needed to raise before we could move back to Peru. And just so that you understand what happened next, let me give you a little background. First, Abby had never done any fundraising, so she didn't really know how much money American missionaries typically have to raise. Second, as you know, she had just moved to the States from Peru a few years ago, so her main point of reference was the budget of Peruvian churches, which many times cannot afford even to pay their own pastors a salary. Well, when Abby saw the amount that Sir Justice raised, she just laughed. But she didn't laugh to herself like Sarah does in our text. She laughed out loud to the face of Matt, the executive who gave us the numbers. Now, of course, she didn't mean any disrespect to Matt. It's just that she couldn't help her reaction. It seemed impossible to her that we would be able to raise all the money in one year because, just like his guest told Abraham, Matt told us, around this time next year, you need to have raised this money. And just so that you don't think that I didn't laugh because I'm more spiritual than Abby or I have more faith, the only reason I didn't is because some missionary friends had already warned me what, had already warned me what was coming. But you know what? God has exceeded our best expectations and surprised us with his provision. We started fundraising back in April, about four months ago, less than half of the time that they gave us, and we have already raised more than half of what we need to raise, half of our goal, more than half of our goal. And the bulk of all this support comes directly from you, from the two congregations of Christ Church and Grace Hill. Simply put, if it weren't because of you, we would not be able to serve the Peruvian church. So on behalf of my family, and I am sure that I speak on behalf of the Theomans and the Ors as well, thank you. Thank you so much. 
for all your love and your partnership in the gospel. We rejoice in the fact that despite our going away, we will continue to serve Christ together with you. But how exactly does our recent experience relate to the Bible passage that I just read? Well, the surprisingly good start to our support raising has reminded us that as incredible or flat-out laughable as God's calling might appear to us, the Lord will keep all of His surprising promises for those who trust Him. And I think that is one of the main lessons that we can gather from our text. It's been a great encouragement to our lives, and we just wanted to share that encouragement with you all this morning. You see, the gospel makes amazing promises to all of us as a church, as individual believers, but our difficult experiences sometimes make they these experiences make these promises look laughable. Yet Time and time again, the Lord shows himself faithful and worthy of all of our trust. And so to make this point, I'm dividing my message into two parts. Part one, Sarah's laughter, and part two, our own laughter. So let's start with the first point, Sarah's laughter. As the book of origins, Genesis narrates the beginnings not just of the world, but especially of God's people. And the most outstanding human characters in this story are called the patriarchs because these people become the ancestors of God's people. And one of the most prominent couples among all the patriarchs are Abraham and Sarah because just like Adam and Eve become the progenitors of all humanity, Abraham and Sarah become the fountainhead of the people of Israel and by extension of the church. In other words, we are worshiping God this morning because God called Abraham and Sarah to himself. That is how important this couple is. And their story in Genesis is organized around six theophanies or divine appearances the first one comes in chapter 12 when God when God calls Abraham and Sarah out of their land to the promised land in chapter 13 God instructs Abraham to explore the land that his descendants would inherit in chapter 15 God and Abraham make a covenant by slaughtering some animals in chapter 17 God commands Abraham to circumcise himself and every male in his household And so we come to chapter 18, our text for this morning, when God appears a fifth time to Abraham. And I have to emphasize that it is God who appears some way to Abraham. I know that this expression might sound unbelievable. How how can God appear to people? But that's what we read in verse 1. It says that the Lord appeared to him. And notice that the word Lord is in caps. That means that he appeared to Abraham as the God of the covenant, as Yahweh himself. And because the text explicitly says that God visited Abraham, many teachers throughout church history have taught that this is an appearance of the Son of God before 
his incarnation. Now, there are other important teachers like Augustine and Calvin who think that these are all angels who come in the name and hence the power and authority of God himself. Now, it's hard to choose between these options because the encounter is so mysterious. But, reg but regardless of one view one adopts, what is clear is that Abraham speaks to the leader of these men as if he was speaking to God himself. And it is precisely because Abraham recognizes the divine character of this visit that he goes out of his way to offer the best hospitality that he can afford. Now, Abraham hospi Abraham's hospitality is so remarkable that it, it could become its own sermon. But for our purposes this morning, we will focus on the exchange that takes place in verses 9 through 16. So if you have your Bible in front of you, look at verse 10. We read that God promises Abraham, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now this is not the first time that God makes this promise to Abraham. Just in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, God had promised Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her, her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. So if God had already made this promise to Abraham, why did he need to repeat it? Well, chapter 18 adds a timeline. Abraham and Sarah will have a child together within a year. But I think that there is more going on here. I think that this promise was so hard to accept that God needed to repeat the promise a second time for it to really sink in. Because just like Abraham, like Sarah does in chapter 18, when Abraham hears the promise the first time in chapter 17, he also laughs. If you read chapter 17, verse 17 says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Abraham laughed. So Sarah's laughter in chapter 18 suggests that maybe Abraham had found this promise so hard to believe that he had not communicated it to Sarah. And so Sarah needed, not only did Abraham need to hear it a second time, but Sarah herself needed to hear the promise from God for her to believe it. But just like Abraham did before her, Sarah also laughs when she hears the promise. Why? Why? Because the prospect of having a child of their own in their stage of life after close to a century of ongoing disappointment was so unbelievable that it actually became laughable to them. Not only was Abraham 99 years old and Sarah 90, but Sarah had been barren her whole life. And of course, she was so old that she no longer experienced menstrual cycles. That is what verse 11 of chapter 18 means when it says that the way of, of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Sarah was so old that even if she had not been barren, 
It would have been physically impossible for her to conceive. So the fulfillment of God's promise would actually demand a double miracle. First, that a barren woman would conceive. And second, that a woman beyond the years of conception could get pregnant. Now, of course, if we consider Abraham's own age, we could speak of a triple miracle because even though it's not impossible for old men to have children, it is certainly very improbable. And yet, despite of these circumstances, very few things would have made Abraham and Sarah happier than to have a child of their own. Not only would they have had the natural desire to reproduce with their lifelong partner, but also they must have felt intense social pressure to have children of their own. But most importantly of all, God himself had promised Abraham that he would give the promised land to his descendants. Now because Abraham and Sarah thought that it was utterly impossible for them to have children of their own, Sarah gave Abraham her Egyptian slave, Hagar, for Abraham to have a child with her. So now God has to repeat this promise to make the point absolutely clear that as humanly impossible as it might appear to them, he would make sure that they had a child of their own in their own age, in their old age, and that this child would become the recipient of all the covenant promises that God had given Abraham. And friends, you know very well how this story ends. In chapter 21, verse 1, we read, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The name Isaac means he laughs. In chapter 17, God instructs Abraham to give this very name to their child as a memorial that our God is so wonderful that he turns our laughter of unbelief for promises that sound too good to be true into a laughter of amazement that these unbelievable promises actually come to pass for all those who trust him. And I do say trust because despite of their initial laughter, Abraham and Sarah had to believe the Lord. His promise was not for a, a son to Sarah alone, but for a child to them as a couple. And that means that Abraham and Sarah still had to step out in faith, come together as a couple for them to have 
this child and the promise to be fulfilled. But such were the circumstances that there could be no question in anyone's mind that their child was the fruit of God's almighty power working in their favor and that this power makes the laughter of unbelief become the laughter of gratitude. As R.R. R. Reno says, writes in his commentary on Genesis, quote, What begins as an impossible dream ends in joy. What is barren and desolate is made pregnant and fruitful, and the dry laughter of unbelief foretells, however unwittingly, the full laughter of celebration. Let's now turn to our second point, our own laughter. You see, like Abraham and Sarah in our own pilgrimage of faith, we find many promises from God that sound just too good to be true, so unlikely, so impossible as to be laughable. But this shouldn't surprise us because we, in essence, receive the same promise that he gave to them. You see, in Galatians 3.8, Paul says, Paul teaches, Paul the Apostle teaches that in all the promises that God gave Abraham, he was preaching the gospel to the patriarch. And those are the words that Paul uses. God, through these promises, was preaching the gospel to Abraham. Because we have to remember that the promise of Isaac was not an end in itself, but a means to bring the blessing of Abraham to all the nations. Isaac was but the first link in a long series of generations that would lead to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and ultimate Son and Lord of the covenant and the King of all nations. And it is only because we are connected to the Lord Jesus by faith that we can be counted as the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah and the recipients of these very promises. So then, what are the gospel promises that cause your own laughter of unbelief? What are some promises from God that cause your own laughter of unbelief? How about this one? 1 John, end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the, sin, for the sins of the whole world. Now perhaps when you hear this promise, you laugh to yourself think, thinking, all the sins of the world forgiven by the death of a single man? You have to be kidding. And besides, you might think, even if this were true, there can be no forgiveness for me. I have done terrible things, and I've done them for too long. There is just no hope for me. Well, friends, if this thinking describes you, let me remind you of the words of Abraham's visitors. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the God who made the whole universe by his son and sent the same son into this world to shed his divine blood to cover all of your sins? God will forgive you all of your transgressions, whatever you may have done and however long you may have done it, if you come to his son in repentance and faith. Here's another amazing gospel promise. 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, into the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. Now, perhaps you think, okay, Daniel, God forgives my sins, but how can he expect me to believe that he is transforming me into the image of Christ if I keep struggling with the same old sins every day of my life. Now, if this sounds like your heart, let me ask you again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the God who poured out the spirit of his son into the world over his church and has been changing the worst sinners into the most remarkable saints for 2,000 years. Now, perhaps you don't notice your own spiritual growth from one day to the other, just like you cannot tell that a mighty oak is growing if you look at it from one day to the next. But if you don't give up, but persevere, in daily repentance and faith, God will surely continue to shape you into the image of His Son. And at the end of your life, you will be able to look back and marvel at the amazing transformation that God's grace has produced in your life. Now, of course, this promise is not for you alone, but for everyone who is in Christ. The point being, don't give up the hope of seeing your loved ones transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. Among us, there should be no saying, oh, you will never change. You will always be the same. As Christians, we're not allowed to think that way. We have to believe that as impossible as it might, se as it might seem, the power of the gospel will change our lives into the image of Christ. All right, one more gospel promise, final one that I share with you that sounds too good to be true and I think is very pertinent to our times. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself, speaking of Christ, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ is growing his church as a community of reconciliation between the fiercest enemies. Daniel, you might think, now you have gone too far. Do you seriously expect me to believe that Christians can actually get along? The church has been torn by splits from the start. Our own congregation is just as polarized as the outside world. 
and I can't even have peace with my own Christian spouse at home, and you want me to believe that Christ can heal even the most strained relationships? That is just too much. To which I ask one last time, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the God who purposely let Abraham and Sarah get so old that they would have no hope in themselves so that there would be no question that their heir was a gracious gift of his almighty power and that this power can work salvation in the most adverse of circumstances? Maybe, just maybe, God has let you come into a seemingly impossible challenge in order to display his almighty power in your favor. As impossible and indeed laughable as God's promises of good might appear to us, we can rest assured that our God will keep every single one of them in Christ. Abraham and Sarah could have confidence that after their own deaths, their descendants would inherit the land that God promised to give to them because he already, have kept, he already had kept the impossible promise of his son in their old age. And likewise, we can have full assurance that God will keep all his promises of good to us because he already kept his promise to send his own son to us. Jesus is the ultimate Isaac. He's the ultimate son and Lord of the covenant. And he already was born to us. And he also came to us in a miraculous way. Not by, by an old barren woman, but by a young virgin. And on top of that, he himself already gave us the greatest guarantee of the greatest gospel promise of all that all of us who trust in him will rise from the grave together to live forever in the presence of our good God because his son already came and conquered sin and death for our sakes. He already did that. Hence, we can look to the future with full assurance of hope. So my invitation to you friends this morning, and this is my main charge, trust with all your heart in the ultimate Isaac. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and your laughter of unbelief will become an everlasting laughter of amazement, joy, and gratitude. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, its incredible encouragement. We beg you in the name of Christ to help us all, to help every single one here in this gathering experience such a work of your spirit in our hearts that we will not just be hearers, but we will become now doers of your word and put all of our hope in your promises of good 
as impossible and laughable as they may seem, so that we might see how your almighty power can turn our laughter of unbelief into a laughter of amazement, joy, and gratitude that sounds forever. We ask in the name of Christ, the Lord of the covenant. Amen.